Our youngest is no longer a toddler. In fact, he's home for spring break right now just for three days. And Andrew is, uh, as the youngest of our five children, Andrew heard something that a lot of you who had older brother, anybody have older brother or sister here? Okay, a number of you, those of you engaging online, I see your hands going up, put them up there, there you go. And uh, wanna say hi to all of our friends who are joining us, whether from uh, Lorraine Correctional, glad to have you guys with us and the team, yep. And uh, you're having some applause here from people at Grace. Others of you engaging from North Royalton, North Ridgeville, North Carolina, North Africa, find a few more Norths, but really glad to have you with us today. So uh, I think anybody who has an older brother or sister has heard something like this. You know, your older brother tells you, he goes, you know what I was doing when I was your age? I started vacuuming the whole house when I was four years old. I think I was three. In fact, I think I learned how to walk holding on to the vacuum cleaner. And look at you today. You don't do a thing around here. You ever anybody say something like that? You know, your sister, older sister goes, when I was your age, we didn't have a dishwasher. I watched you, someone out here, they just said, yeah, I washed all the dishes by hand. I warmed up the water over an open fire. <laughs> I, had to wa- I had to get the water out of a well two miles from here. I walked barefoot, uphill both ways. <laughs> I-, I hear it coming out of my mouth. You guys ever have this? Like I would tell my kids, I'd get, hey kids, be quiet back. You know, we'd be traveling to North Carolina or something. And, and I tell them, I'd say, when I was your age, we went on vacation in this old country squire station wagon. Anybody have a country squire station wagon? And you're, yeah. And this thing was like rusty, and I'd say, and we didn't have air conditioning in ours. My dad went for the cheap version, you know? And it was over 100 degrees. We were packed in like sardines in that thing. And kids, we didn't have cell phones to keep us entertained. We didn't get to watch movies like y'all are doing. You gotta be quiet. (laughs) The translation is this, that when we tell stories like that, we're telling them, you have it so much what? You have it so much better today, right? And, and we like to tell stories and we embellish and all that kind of stuff and we tell them, I don't know if it's actually true. Maybe in some senses it was better like then than it is today, I don't know. But with chores and travel, but can I tell you this, that the relationship that you and I can have with Jesus today is so much better than the way people had it 2,000 plus years ago. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you why. In the wonder of a relationship with Jesus today, why can we have a relationship with Jesus and what is it all about? How does the Bible, how does the Bible act like there are all these signposts pointing ahead saying, hey, there's something amazing going to happen and then Jesus shows up on the scene. Let's look at one of the signs in the Old Testament. If you turn with me to Leviticus chapter eight, not a book that we turn to a lot, but uh, the series is called Signs, One Story That Leads to Jesus. And if you accept the testimony about Jesus, here's what Jesus says. He's talking to a group of skeptical religious leaders at one point, and he tells them this. He goes, you know what, you guys, you, you skeptical people, he goes, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but he goes, the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, points to whom? To me, he says. You guys wanna go back a second there? John chapter five. John chapter five there, and uh, there you go. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, he says, point to me. All the Bible holds together with one plot line that comes together in a person, and that is Jesus. 
Let me just say this. If you find sometimes the Bible confusing, especially the Old Testament, you go, there's all these sacrifices and laws and all this kind of stuff. I don't really get it. Someone has said that understanding the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the first 39 books, is sort of like putting together the pieces of a puzzle. And when you put together a puzzle, most of you, if you're like me, you put together what part of the puzzle first? The outside, right? The border, right? Because you can just look for all the straight pieces and you're like, okay, I got that. But occasionally you're looking at the puzzle going, I have no idea where this piece fits. Sometimes when we read the Bible, it's like that. You go, I don't, I don't know how this piece fits. Like, I don't, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. It's okay to say, I'm gonna put those pieces to the side and I'm gonna take the pieces that make sense. And in the long run, here's what you find out. The Bible ultimately all points to Jesus. And that you and I can have a relationship personally with him today that changes our lives. So let's take a look and, and read um, from Leviticus. But before we do, I have one picture. I said we're going to show a picture each week. And we're going to talk today about the high priest. Um, we're having an, actually a vote of the congregation this week. If I should start dressing like that every Sunday. And I love that guy's hair. Uh, I, I'm trusting there's some underneath that cap on top. But we're going to read about why did the priests in the Old Testament, why did they, like what are those 12 stones there on the front? And why, why was the first garment white? What was that all about? And then we're going to see how that points to Jesus. So Leviticus chapter 8, Leviticus 8, beginning with verse 1, and here's what we read. The Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron, that's his brother who had was the high priest, and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed them with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He also fastened the ephod with the decorative waistband, which he tied around him. He placed the breastpiece on him and put the urim and thummim in the breastpiece. Then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, sort of what you see on that slide a second ago, the sacred emblem on the front of it, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, and so he consecrated them. This is a big deal. All of the nations gathered together, and this is how a person would approach God on your behalf. That's what priests did. The difference between a priest and a prophet was this. The priest would take the concerns of the people and represent them before God, and the prophet would take the concerns of God and bring them to the people. And so the priest was one who would uh, say, I'm going to help you to be able to approach God with like your mess ups and your concerns and your stresses and anxieties and all the rest. And, and when the priest went before God, like every piece of his garment mattered. Uh, it, the white signified that he, was, he had been washed, that he had been purified, that, that he was clean before God. Uh, the, the breast piece that had 12 stones on it, how many tribes did Israel have? They had 12, and that 12 stones showed that when that priest went into the presence of God, he wasn't just representing himself, he was bringing all of the concerns of the nation to God. He was representing the people before God. And just two more pictures here. One you're gonna see is the first, the tabernacle of God, where God lived, you could say, at, at the, uh, 
in this people, and you'll see there were three tribes on every side. Israel had 12 tribes, we said, and so they all camped, and right in the center was this tent called the tabernacle, or they sometimes called it the tent of meeting. It's where you would go to meet with God. But there was a problem, there was a challenge. Only one person could go into that most holy place one time a year, and they did it with great fear. Let's just zoom in a little bit closer to take a look. Here's the, a close-up view, a, a cutout, if you will, and on the left side there is an altar, and this is where they would have sacrifices, and they would, they would fire go up, and, the, and it was a sacrifice that, that would be for your mess-ups, all your failures and your sin. Then the, the guy you see there at the place right in between the altar and the tent, is he's at a, like a little wash basin, and there was water there to signify that he'd been purified. There's symbol, symbolism to all of this. Just to, we'll hold on one second here. Then you go into the first room, which is called the holy place. You see that candelabra there, the menorah. You have the bread of the presence. You have incense. And then the very final room on the right, you'll see a little box there that was called the, the most holy place, holy of holies, and that box there was called the Ark of the Covenant, right? If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's like from a generation ago. But that's what it's talking about right there. And that's where the presence of God was among his people. Now, here's the problem. This, this, this was the, that most holy place where you could know God and talk to God and bring your concerns to God. You weren't allowed to go there. You were locked out. I'd be locked out. Unless you were the high priest. Out of two million people, you won the lottery and you were the guy. And even then, you could only go in how many times a year? one time. And you went in with great fear. That, that was then. That's why we can say today, oh my goodness, it is so much better today than it was back then. How? Why? Let's take a look. Let's sort of zoom forward and see how that Old Testament priesthood was a sign that pointed to Jesus and why we don't do that stuff anymore, okay? Let's turn toward the end of your Bible, Hebrews chapter eight, Hebrews eight, and, uh, and we're gonna see when Jesus says, the scriptures point to me, how the Old Testament priesthood, just like the Passover lamb, pointed to Jesus. So Hebrews chapter eight, we're gonna read verses five and six. It's one of the last books of your New Testament, and here's what it says, verse five of Hebrews eight. The high priests serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. He's saying that tabernacle we saw on this slide, that's just a copy of what's actually in heaven. Here's what he says here. In fact, if you see these words on the screen that say, but now Jesus, would you read that aloud with me? You ready? But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. You see a word there a few times? How much better is it? Far better. What Jesus has done for us, it is better today than what they had back then. In fact, in Hebrews it says that Jesus is our great high priest. It's the only time that that title, the great high priest, is given to someone. Why is Jesus better? Why is what we have today way better than what people had before Jesus came? How does it make a difference for us today? Let's see how the priesthood points to Jesus. If you're following along in your notes that are um, on our homepage of our website in the bulletin, it says this, how the priesthood points to Jesus. And just a quick summary you'll see in the chart here. First, it's the kind of person that Jesus is. 
Aaron and his sons were all what? They're all sinners, right? Remember how they, when Moses went up onto the mountain to get the, the Ten Commandments, and uh, they're down below and they're putting together this golden calf that totally dishonored God. You know, who, you know who was the ringleader of that? Aaron, right? The same guy was the high priest. You're going, that, was, that guy was a, a screw-up, right? He, was, he had failed so many times, and yet he was still the high priest. And then you have Jesus. Wow. Who was he? Nothing less than the Son of God, right? How many times did he mess up? Precisely zero. He was sinless. So you have this perfect high priest who doesn't need to make a sacrifice for his own sins like the people used to. How about the level of access to God for the priests in the Old Testament? We said they could go into that most holy place, the very presence of God, one person, one time a year. How about with Jesus? Absolutely full access. In fact, we're going to read a verse here in a second that says, when Jesus died, maybe you remember this part, when Jesus died, there was this six-inch thick curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And when Jesus died, that curtain, what happened? It was torn in two from top to bottom to symbolize this was God saying, you know what? You're no longer locked out of my presence. You can come into my presence. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses like, was before the burning bush, it says, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is what? Holy ground. It's still holy ground. You come to God. But you know what he says? Jesus says, you can call God your father, Abba. It's like calling him dad, Papa. You can go into God's presence with Jesus when you go with Jesus and what he's done for you. And you can say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. How about the kind of sacrifice he offered? If you guys want to go to the kind of sacrifice where it says uh, how much better in Hebrews chapter 10, you want to turn over two, chapter, uh, two chapters here, Hebrews, 18, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, and we read this. It says, under the old covenant, that is the old way, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day after day, after, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never, listen to this, they can never take away sins. They sort of covered them a little bit for a bit, but they didn't take him away. But our high priest offered himself to God, that's Jesus when he died on a cross, as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then the priest would stand, what did Jesus do? He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. In other words, his job was done. And then you read verse 18, it says this, drop down there, it says when the sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Aren't you glad that when you got up for church this morning, you know, I didn't have to tell Mary. I didn't have to go, hey, Mary, just a second. I'm going to be a little bit later. I forgot to get the lamb from the, you know, the shed behind the garage. You know, and I get the lamb, and I carry the lamb. And I go, hey, how you doing, John? I'm doing pretty well here. You know, we're all carrying lambs in here. And why? Because there's, this sounds really gross to us today, but there's sacrifices in the lobby, you know, and there's blood. And back in that day, you'd go to the, any feast, and there would be the, the bleeding and the crying of like countless animals that were being prepared for sacrifices. Why? So that your sins could be sort of covered for a bit. You want to know why we don't do that anymore? Praise God, because when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't offer the blood of an animal. He offered whose blood? His own. He offered his own, and he was a sinless, perfect sacrifice so that when I say, Jesus, when you died for me, 
you died. It's like coming to the altar and I say, Jesus, you, you were a sacrifice for me. And then that labor, that, you know, the, you cleanse me. It's like you, you don't just sort of cover, you erase my failures and my sins when I trust you and you give me access so I can know you in a personal way and I can experience you in my life. There's a song that we sing around here. In fact, we sang it a couple weeks ago, I think. It says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great, what? High priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is grave. I'd start singing right now, but you wouldn't like it, and my son would never come home again for spring break. And it says this, it says, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one, the risen son of God. Why? Because it's a once for all sacrifice that you and I, we don't have to bring sacrifices anymore. Like we, I, listen, however you've messed up in your life, maybe this week, maybe you have regrets, you think, you've done things, you, you think, I, have, I wish I could have like a mulligan in my life. I have so messed up. Can I tell you this? Jesus came as your high priest. And he, and, he, and he doesn't say, hey, when you're good enough, get your act together. You, you can come. He says, no, bring all of your brokenness, all of your failures, all of your sin, because that's why I came, is I came to die for you. And when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I, I give you all of the broken pieces of my life, he starts a new work in you. For one, he takes away all your sin. He washes it all away. A once for all sacrifice. He makes you totally clean. He says, I don't remember your sins anymore. And, and it's the greatest gift ever offered so that if you were sitting here today and let's say Moses was next to you and you got Joshua, who else are your favorite Old Testament characters? Esther, David, Ruth, you know, you name it, Deborah. And if they were sitting next to you, you know what they'd be telling you? You have it so much better today than we did. And you'd go, you know what? Pastor Jonathan told me, you are absolutely right. You guys had a terrible back in, well, not terrible, but it was a far cry from what we have today. So how do we respond to that? Like, what, I mean, when you've been given a gift, because someone could say, that's an interesting thing from Leviticus to Hebrews, but that feels like, so what? So what is this? The most important relationship you'll ever have is your relationship with God. There's nothing more important in your life ever to how you figure out your purpose and why you're here and what happens when you die and how do you deal with failures and challenges and illnesses or whatever pressures come your way? How do you respond to Jesus? How does this make a difference? You know, the author here in Hebrews chapter 10, there's a little key word. He says, uh, therefore. I had a professor in college who says, whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's you had the same professor, a few of you did, that I did. Ask what it's there for. Because it's saying this, is saying, hey, based on everything you've heard, therefore, and that's what happens here. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, here's what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. And remember that? Back, we, we talked about that's the, the room. He says, all of us can enter that most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, what do we do? What do we do? He says three things. He says, let us do this, let us do that, let us do this. 
And let me just mention these three briefly and then we'll close. First one, verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. He's saying this, I want you to have a close relationship with Jesus. Friends, um, today, you can have the closest friendship you can have is with Jesus. I love my wife dearly. She's a treasure to me. I realize that my wife could be taken from me like that or I from her. My kids have moved, the closest ones live in Colorado. I've canceled them all out of my inheritance because of that. No, I'm just kidding. But people come and go in your lives, right? There is one person who will never leave you, and that's Jesus. And he says, draw near to him. Get to know God better. A few chapters earlier in Hebrews 14, 4, it says this, that high priest understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he doesn't sin. In other words, he wants to help you when you face temptation. So come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. You'll receive mercy and grace to help us when you need it the most. Just like that national campaign right now, maybe you've seen it, he gets us. It's talking about Jesus. You can find it at hegetsus.com or .org, whatever. He gets us. Second response, not only do you say, I wanna enjoy a close relationship with Jesus, but second response, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For the one who promised is faithful. In other words, in tough times, don't, don't leave your faith in Jesus. These people were going through rough times and they were tempted probably based on what the author's saying to go, you know what, I, don't, I had a guy I talked to, I remember, and he said, hey, Pastor Jonathan, he said, I lost my brother years ago. He said, I just went through this crushing divorce. My mom died unexpectedly. He goes, I, if God doesn't protect me from this kind of stuff, I don't really know if I want to follow him anymore. And so I listened, you know, we chatted. And, and so I said, so where, where are you going to turn now? Like, I, I would say, I believe the very one who wants to walk with you in your pain is, is Jesus. He didn't cause all this, but he promises to be with you. He weeps with you in your pain. And so where, where are you going to go if you, if, you, if you leave him? It's like Peter, the apostle, said one time when there was a very confusing moment of, in Jesus' teaching, and Jesus says, are you going to leave me? And Peter says, Lord, to whom else can we go, right? You have the words of eternal life. He says here, hold, hold, on, hold on swervingly to the hope that you profess and even if you feel like you can't, like your grip is sort of loosening, you can know this. He says, the one who calls you is faithful and he's not gonna let go of you. Your Abba, Father, your heavenly dad is faithful. One more response, verse 24, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I summarized it this way in your notes. Stay close to others who follow Jesus. Friends, we are stronger together. Would you say that with me? We are stronger together. Maybe it's sort of like Pastor Jelani said earlier, maybe you're not feeling that right now, but you need to speak that into your life. I am stronger with other people around me who want to follow Jesus. It might be a small group or a class or a support group. We got a lot of those here or a recovery group. It, it could be whatever. We have disciple-making groups. Uh, it's you being here and, and engaging, especially after these two years 
of saying we've had a lot of distancing from each other, maybe more than sometimes what we needed. And, and today saying, let's listen to what he says. He says, man, let's, let's not stop meeting together. Even when people agitate you, annoy you, whatever, uh, our heart, our mission, even as a church family, is we say we want to exalt Jesus by making disciples, being disciples, followers who love him, who grow with others, and who serve uh, the world. We want to be all about Jesus. Friends, we can say it truly is better. It truly is better today what you and I can experience. This past week, I was working on my, you know, just my message, and uh, Mary and I, will, we like to take walks together. It's when we pray for our kids, and we talk about our day, and sometimes we talk about what we're studying in the Bible, uh, and, and maybe for a message. And so I was telling her, I said, uh, she goes, hey, how's your message prep going? And I said, you know, sometimes you look at the Old Testament and it feels so remote, like you're talking about priests and sacrifices, but I'm glad it feels remote because I'm glad we're not there anymore. But I said, what I've, what I've come to appreciate in a new way is like Jesus has opened up the most holy place, but I don't think I always take advantage of that. Like sometimes when stress comes into my life, I'm like, okay, what's my answer here? How did I, and, and I think the father's going, Jonathan, just come to me. I've got mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Talk to me. Like the curtain's been torn in two. Would you get to know me better and live in my presence? Enjoy your relationship with me. I'll never let you go. Like I am your heavenly dad and I love you and I'm faithful. And friends, that's what he's saying to you today. That God, your father, loves you so much he opened up the most holy place for you, that you can know him, that you can say, I'm going to hold on to him even when it's hard, and I'm going to walk with other people, and they'll strengthen me, and I'll strengthen them when we go through tough times. He is your great high priest. Don't let that scare you, because it's the best news that we could ever receive. Let's ask him to help us to understand better. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you today that um, you sacrificed everything. I, I, that you, I, don't, I don't think we'll ever fully grasp, Lord Jesus, that you died for people who were like Aaron and Peter and Judas and people who really, really messed up. And so, God, we just thank you for your forgiveness and for what you've done for us that you loved us enough, Father, that you gave your only son, that when we believe in you, that we have life today and life forever, so thank you. Just wanna say to you, Jesus, that we want to belong to you and follow you with all of our hearts. You are worthy and deserving of our total loyalty. Help us to be like that. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen.